when the brass were recording that piece here in the sanctuary, it was one of the first times when I was a bit shaken by the pandemic and the disruption, especially that it has caused in our church life and in this space in particular here in the church sanctuary. In Easter, when we gathered for worship, I thought that maybe we would be out of the sanctuary for a week or two, or maybe three, and I never imagined we'd be where we are today. In fact, I couldn't at that time even comprehend where we would be today, and so I think when they were recording that night and I was struck in the moment, I had to take a pause, and I had to reflect back on our Christmas Eves together in this place, and reflect back on the experiences of worship and each of you that I miss so dearly, and I know that you all miss one another. And so friends, it is good and wonderful that we have found ways to gather Our community is growing stronger and stronger during this time, and I give thanks to God for that, and I give thanks to God for each one of you. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we do indeed give you thanks. We give you thanks for your word that was read for us by Kathy and Mark and Katie, and we give you thanks for the story the story of your love come down in Jesus. Almighty God, give us ears to hear something new this day. Amen. I wonder if you're feeling a little bit nostalgic this year. Just about everyone is going to have a bit of a different Christmas this year. And I wonder if it makes you think about your Christmases in the past, like I was sharing about my time here. I hope you're taking some time to be grateful for those memories, to look back. And I also hope you're taking some time to share stories with one another of the Christmases past. I love to remember Christmas Eve nights with our neighbors as a child, listening to our favorite Christmas records, especially the Sing Along with Mitch albums, those were my favorite, and then singing outside with the sidewalk lined with luminarias burning bright. These were good memories, cherished memories. And even beyond memories of Christmas or other holidays, it's in our human nature to look to our past and to retell stories of our past to one another. We recount our experiences. We tell stories to children to then bring them into our story and to remind them of their story and then keep the memories going. A good friend of mine's daughter regularly used to crawl into her lap and ask her to tell her again the story of her birth. She loved hearing about all that went on and the people who came to visit. The story brought with it love and a feeling of being welcomed and wanted. When I was growing up, and the same is likely true for many of you, photo albums were our ticket to enter the past. 
I loved looking at my parents' wedding album, from their, uh, their photo album from their wedding, and then their photos from when they were children. I loved looking at my own childhood pictures. I loved looking at them and reaching back into my memory to try and place myself right there, right back in that moment. And we use triggers to do this so often, whether it's a smell, a taste, a feeling, or a photo, or maybe a place. Whatever that trigger might be, there are these external influences that help us bring back memories. The further wonder is that this is even true for people when they reach a point where they have cognitive decline. The memories can still be triggered by sights and smells and sounds. You see, memories shape us. They shape our expectations. They shape how we interact with others. They shape the things we'll like and dislike, and perhaps even they'll cause us to do whatever it takes to never experience that same thing again. This is common not just to people, but animals do the same thing. Memories influence our actions and our values and even our faith. This year, did you notice people were putting up Christmas lights a bit earlier? I loved it, and that's a little out of character for me. I typically think that it should wait until after Thanksgiving. But this year, it was as though people wanted to create moments of positive memory association. Christmas trees went up early, and people were listening to Christmas music and doing so with pride while it was still early November. Memories. They drive us to seek a different present and future. They take us back, and we either want to get back to that feeling or we want to move forward and never forget it, but, but never experience it again. I don't know how our individual or corporate history will tell of this year. I can imagine, but I struggle in part because we're still in the midst of it, but also because the farther we get, the farther we get from it, our memory will change and fade. In fact, I already have such trouble remembering what it was like in those early days and weeks of the pandemic. I have trouble remembering life before daily Zooms and saying, "Uh, you're on mute. So you see, our memory plays tricks with us too. But memory and the fragility of our memory, it's precisely why each year we find ourselves right where we are tonight. We need to hear the story, to feel the wonder, We need to be realigned, stepping into the manger, stepping into the fields with the shepherds, experiencing the newness of life that a teenage mother brought into this world. We need to be reminded. But really, we need to be experiencing it again. More than memories, we are called each year at Christmas to take the chance of allowing God to bring us into God's story today and tomorrow and tomorrow's tomorrow. We celebrate this holy night. We create an experience of wonder tonight. We give gifts and we, uh, we eat and we cook banquets and we celebrate this holy night because we need holy nights.
We need this experience of love, not just tonight, but throughout our days and throughout our nights. We need holy nights. Our world needs holy nights. From the moment Jesus is born on that most holy of nights, angels are inviting people into the story. The shepherds are among the first. These shepherds used to be outside, used to being nomadic of sorts, not exactly the most pious of people. They're among the first to whom the angels appear Just as throughout history, throughout the whole of the Bible, God is inviting on that holy night, God is inviting partners to come into God's handiwork of love in the world. God is inviting unsuspecting partners. God is inviting the ones who weren't picked first. God is inviting you and me and each of us on this holy night to come and see what took place in that manger inviting us to experience that holy night, encounter that newborn baby, and to be introduced to the one who will bring love to the unloved, who will bring justice, who will seek to turn people against evil and toward love. Over and over again, holy nights, holy days, holy lives, returning back to that moment of wonder to experience God's transforming love and to bring that love into the world through our own lives. As followers of Christ, as ones who are willing to partner with God, it is our sole purpose to bring glory to God by bringing God's love into the world, to make the difficult choices of loving others over ourselves, to fight against racial injustices, inequality, systemic oppression, to be about the work of Jesus Christ, it often means that we're going to go against the grain and maybe even against our own interest. If we removed every reference, every reference to loving others from Scripture, and especially from the New Testament and the life of Christ, we'd be left with an empty book, an empty church, and empty hearts. If we removed God's thirst for justice from Scripture, we'd be left with a flood and enslavement and death. Being a follower of Christ means being a follower of the one whom Mary, his mother, said these words while she was carrying Christ in her womb. Listen to these words of the faithful God-bearer as she describes her son and her God. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked down with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, she says, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. From before he was born, Mary, the 14-year-old unwed pregnant mother, knew who and what 
her son would be to the world, then and now. Holy nights, remembering Christ, this is our calling. Oh, holy night is one of my favorite Christmas songs. But we almost never had this song. It was written in 1843 by an atheist poet in Paris and a Jewish composer. The song became famous quickly in France, but the church didn't like that it was written by two non-Christians, and they were displeased with the references to Jesus as one who will cease oppression and break the chains of slaves. They tried to bury the song and all of its justice themes. Thankfully, the song was brought to America by a minister and musician, John Sullivan Dwight, who was an abolitionist. And this song, and particularly the strong message of God's justice, became a favorite among Christian abolitionists. O holy night, The words of a song so familiar to us today became the church's response to slavery and injustice, partners with God, creating holy nights. Friends, this Christmas may we be about the same work, creating holy nights, reminding ourselves who we follow. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.